Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Enrique Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Uh Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Alongside Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. On behalf of Eric, we welcome you to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat for this Thursday, November the 9th of 2023. The bye week continues for the Fighting Irish. They will be eating cheeseburgers on the couch on Saturday, and so will I. How about you? I think I'm going to have a cheeseburger this time. I did last time because it was my birthday and I got taken out to lunch by my grandchildren and son and daughter-in-law. Very nice. Something possibly more sophisticated this time around. It might be. It's uh, the birthday weekend for two of those grandchildren this weekend. So. Aha. Yes, I'm going okay. to their party right after this. So maybe chicken fingers, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it could be. <laughs> maybe a Happy Meal. Who knows where this is going to go, right? That's right. They're in different age groups. They're not twins, but they have the same birth date. How cool. Yeah. That's fun. A lot of fun. Well, we are here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat together up until 6 o'clock, and then I'll take care of the 6 o'clock hour in the 6 o'clock hour. Our Notre Dame diehard football fan and VEASAN sports talk show host, Tim Murray, will join me to talk Notre Dame football. Marcus Freeman did not meet the media this week, but he spoke on Wake Up the Echoes, the show that you hear on WSBT Radio Tuesday nights. We're going to bring back that conversation in the 6 o'clock hour, and we'll have some sports wagering picks as well. In this hour of the program, besides our hat trick of opening topics, we have... Some of the questions that Eric answered in the InsideIndieSports.com Notre Dame football fan chat, which was Wednesday at noon, and you can take part in that chat next Wednesday at noon at InsideIndieSports.com. And we also have 
Our Twitter question of the day, and I believe yesterday's question set the record for the most votes. And I've been doing this probably almost two years. I started it when I hosted Sportsbeat AM for a year and carried it back to Budweiser's weekday Sportsbeat. But I don't recall having more votes than we had for the question that we had yesterday, which was, who do you believe will be Notre Dame's starting quarterback for game one of 2024 at Texas A&M and Jelly, Minchie, Carr, or currently not on the roster? The vote was close. A lot of different opinions. We'll give you the results in just a little bit. You know, a lot of the people in my business use um, this Otter software to transcribe interviews, and then you have to clean it up. But Steve Angeli is never Angeli. He's Steve and jelly. <laughs> like peanut butter? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. Well, Mr. Angeli will be talked about a lot probably during the offseason, so the software will have plenty of opportunities to learn correctly how to spell his name. Okay, sir, let's get back into it. Let's dig into some more Notre Dame football topics here on Sports Radio 960. WSBT. Start the music. All right, here we go. Question number one. Eric. Yes. For the final two regular season games, the bowl game, who is your starting quarterback? This is highly debated, I can tell, amongst Irish fans. There's a lot of different opinions. Now, I will say this. I wonder, given 72 hours to... Take a deep breath after the Clemson game. If people might have a different answer now compared to after the Clemson game when it was Angeli, Angeli, Angeli. <laughs> Maybe it's changed since then. So how do you attack this? If you're Marcus Freeman, who's your starting quarterback? Well, what's my objective the next three games? Above and beyond, it's to win them. That, If I'm Marcus Freeman, that's what my objective is. Who gives me the best chance to win those games? I believe it's Sam Hartman. So Sam Hartman is my quarterback. Me too. And I made this comment the other day. Since I don't get to sit in practice, I would say if the coaching staff evaluates everybody, tell me who gives them the best chance to win against Wake Forest. That's my quarterback. I'm still assuming it's number 10, Sam Hartman. And I think, Eric, they're getting, wouldn't you say, a good amount of information from the start of fall practice to now on what they have in the quarterback room? I mean, sure, you play them more, you see more, but don't they have a pretty good idea at this point? I think so. And I think, uh, you know, there's not a lot that Steve Angeli playing a huge chunk. Let's say, let's say, um, Sam Hartman uh, got a flat tire and couldn't make it to the stadium. And because I hate, I hate to project injuries, but um, so Steve Angeli's up. There's not a lot that he's going to be able to show you against a Wake Forest team that's kind of in the middle of the pack nationally defensively and a Stanford team that's in the bottom 10 defensively that you don't already know about him going against your own defense in practice um, with some of the best defensive backs in the country and the number 11 or 12 team in total defense. 
Um, now, had Sam Hartman been injured for the Clemson game and Steve Angeli had to play and win that game, winning a big game like that on the road might have given you a different piece of information than you had. But I don't think playing Wake Forest at home and in a bottom 10 defense on the road is going to give you new information about his viability for next season. It might give you some optimism that might not be 100% true. Right. The The other thing is teams, and, and we saw this when Drew Pine became the starter, when, when you come in and play a small stretch, it's different because teams usually haven't built their game plan around you. If you're the starter, now they are trying to get you to play left-handed. In other words, do the things that you do the most poor, unless you actually are left-handed, <laughs> like Malik Zaire. But they're trying to get you to play to your weaknesses. And it's the same thing with basketball scouting. You know, you try to get a guy to dribble with his left hand if he's right-handed and, and take bad shots. Um, so that that's an element you don't see when the number two quarterback comes in and everybody's excited about him. I will say this, Steve Angeli continues to impress me each step that he takes in his college career to this point. I think his growth has been tremendous and it's a tremendous, yeah. um, tremendous bow to his, uh, what he's, how much work he's put in, how much he's hung out with Sam Hartman. <laughs> yeah. Here's question 1B. Also, for the final three games, who calls the offensive plays? We got this question on our podcast today from Maria of Atlanta, um, of all people. and uh, Astute. Yes, astute. And I would say, again, what, what are you going to gain from that? To what end are you doing that? If you are saying... You know what? We're really thinking about having Gino Goduli or Joe Rudolph be the offensive coordinator next year. Let's see what they do against a really middling defense and a really bad defense. Again, I don't know that that gives you as much uh, as you would get in a bowl game. And also, you'd be changing your whole operation. You got Jared upstairs, Parker, the offensive coordinator. You got Gino Goduli on the sideline talking to the quarterbacks. Do you really want to? jumble that up for the last couple games. I'd stay with Jared Parker at this point. You're still gathering information about, um, you know, what you think his future is. Kind of feels like the same thing we were talking about at quarterback. You're facing two horrible defenses, and if the offense looks good, then is that going to give you some false hope about Jared Parker improving? So I'm kind of the other way on this one. I've, I've seen enough. And I want to give someone else a chance to see what they can do. They're not going to change the offense, Eric. They're just going to change. But then you are you are effectively saying, Jared Parker, you're done. This is he's the tight end coach. Yeah, yeah he's the tight end coach. That's the end of the, the line. The Clemson right? game. I'm a very patient individual. I, I think the only time I was thinking about this the other day in my 25 years here, the only time I've really howled and screamed to get rid of somebody was Brian Van Gorder. Yeah. And that was everybody on the face of the earth. So this is really only the second time I've gone down this road. But the Clemson game was at the end of the line for me. Right. In I terms lost of, faith. In, in terms of assistance, Van Gorder's the one guy that I um, 
was pretty vocal about, and even in private conversations with Brian Kelly and some of the assistant coaches off the record. Sure. You know, I was like, what, what's going on here? Um, you know, but um, there have been other assistants where I've wondered about, are they, you know, and, and usually then they didn't last. And, right. and the decision was made before I would howl about them. But again, <laughs> I, again, you, you want to be really careful in your assessment and, and try to gather all the information that's maybe not obvious. Okay, we'll go to our second hat trick of opening topics for tonight. How much did the Irish miss tight end Mitchell Evans against Clemson? Of course, Evans lost for the season with a torn ACL. Well, there's so much trust and chemistry between Sam Hartman and Mitchell Evans. He was, I still is Notre Dame's leading receiver in terms of receptions. Um, and he also was by far Notre Dame's most productive player on third down conversions. So Notre Dame was three of 13 on third down conversions against Clemson. And I would venture to say that that percentage probably wouldn't have been at least a little bit better with Mitchell Evans in the game. Okay. He was a great security blanket. Correct. And a great target for Sam Hartman. And after the performance of the offense on Saturday, that has to be brought up. I'm sure they missed Mitchell to an extent, but so many. Clemson missed the three defensive starters that they were missing, the two offensive line starters, their starting running back. They had people missing too. And you couldn't get the job done. Okay, third and final hat trick of opening topic question for tonight. Who are your top four teams in the country in your latest poll? You vote in the... Super 16, which is sponsored by the Football Writers Association of America and the National Football Foundation. So they just shorten that to all the acronym letters and then Super 16. So I didn't ask this on the script, but do you remember who five and six were? Yes. Okay. So let's talk about the two teams in your world. If the playoffs started today, would be on the outside looking in. So who did you have five and six? I have five. I have Oregon. And number six, I have Michigan. And for me, Michigan, I'm not weighing in the Connor Stallions thing because, again, to me, that hasn't been adjudicated yet. But what I am weighing in is Michigan has given me no indication other than the fact that they've won their games by a lot of points. They haven't played anybody. And uh, you don't have control sometimes over the sequencing of your conference games you do have control over who you pick for your non-conference games and the teams that they picked aren't usually teams that are you know we're going to be yeah challenging <laughs> okay so you have oregon five michigan six just for the fun i have ohio state five and oregon six okay i don't just i i think there's Usually there's a lot more. There's a cliff somewhere between one of these levels. It seems like there's a blur. Yes. You could make the case for Michigan being number one and not be thrown out as being crazy. I'm just one of those people that are impressed that Ohio State won at Notre Dame and and beat Penn State, but I still believe there are four teams better than them right now. Right. But, But you have to 
go also by what happens on the field because no question. Yeah, there's been years where Alabama's lost a game, and you go, boy, <laughs> I know they're better than the teams that are ranked ahead of them, but they did lose. Sure. And yep. so you have to take that into account. Okay. So who is your number four? Number four for me is Florida State. Okay. I've got Michigan number four. Okay. You're number three. The Georgia Bulldogs. Mm, okay. Still not 100% all in that they're... No, but I think the fact that there's rumblings that Brock Bowers is coming back, which was an improbability just about a week or so ago. They thought he was out for the season. That will help their case as they play the tough games down the stretch in the SEC championship game. Okay, so you have Georgia number three. I have Washington is my number three. They got back going on offense against USC, although, you know, dot, dot, dot. And they made Caleb Williams cry, so they get credit for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, you're number two. Ohio State, I, th- I still think they have two really good wins. I mean, their offense feels like there's a flat tire. Uh, <laughs> I mean, th- there's – a. A team that's that good shouldn't be 88th in the country in rushing offense. and uh, But they do have Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, their receivers are incredible, and their defense is playing really good football. Okay. I've got Georgia number two, and your number one is? Washington. I kept them okay. there through their shaky stage, and, yeah, they did um, score a lot. They got USC's defensive coordinator fired, uh, but I thought they looked pretty good all around and I still think they have the best win of anybody this season which is the Oregon win can't disagree with that I've got Florida State number one top 10 in scoring offense scoring defense wins over LSU and Clemson that BC wins looking better and better now even though it was a struggle but yeah BC's playing really good football right now with what Castellanos I believe is their quarterback so I've got Florida State in the top spot. So we have the same six teams, just in different order. And that's really everybody across the country. Everybody has these six teams in some order. And that's, I think, kind of the fun of this whole thing, that there's not a lot of conclusiveness to this process right now. You can make an argument for a lot of different teams to be put somewhere between one and six. And there's a lot of huge games involving all these teams left, whether it be regular season games a conference championship or both. You're going to see some of them play each other. Any thought on Michigan going to Penn State this weekend? According to Las Vegas, the Wolverines are only favored by four and a half. And here we go with the James Franklin deal. He's like four and 15 against Ohio State and Michigan. But against everybody else, he's he's fantastic. And I just wonder <laughs> at some point... Does the like Robert Blanton when he blocked the punt. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yes. Um, Sorry. Where was I going? James Franklin, Michigan, yes. Penn State. I just wonder at some point, does this whole sti- sign-stealing saga affect the Michigan football team? Because now they're playing a really, really good football team. What their best one so far is Rutgers. We probably need to change that just a little bit. So, intriguing game. Yeah, I I was – I'm really intrigued by it to see how Michigan does because then you have a data point to judge Ohio State's win over Penn State, which True. 
essentially was a 17 to six when Penn State got a a touchdown late and then tried to kick an onside kick where Ohio State was just in prevent to keep from giving up two touchdowns. Uh, so I'm I'm curious. My sense is that Michigan will handle Penn State. I just thought, how can a Power Five team with a quarterback as good as Drew Allar hmm. not have a third down conversion until a minute left in the game? That is stunning. And I can't imagine that Michigan's defense will let up and and really allow Penn State. Now, again, the venue's different. They're, Michigan's on the road. They're not in their home stadium. But So my anticipation is that Michigan will win this and cover, but we'll see. Allard had a hard enough time trying to complete a pass on first and second down, yeah. let alone third down. His accuracy was just so off in that game. I know he's a kid that grew up near Columbus and a lot of family there. I don't know if the moment just got a little too big for him, but Ohio State's been pretty good on defense all year, but to to go against a team with Penn State's, I mean, offensive linemen, the people around Drew Aller are pretty good. Well, that's the thing. I think you take away the quarterbacks, which is unfair, but they're on an even keel. I thought with Ohio State, I thought the talent was pretty close (laughs) across the board, but the quarterback position was... I mean, it's not like McCord yeah. is C.J. Stroud, but yeah. you trusted him a whole lot more. And I'll tell you what, I think it does make a little bit of a difference. This is a noon kickoff rather than under the lights in Happy Valley. That makes a big difference. The Nittany Lion won't be quite as playful that early, the mascot. <laughs> yes. When we drove by that stadium last weekend going to the hockey arena, it's just the most oddly constructed stadium. They've just added on, and they just keep adding beams here and there, and it's... It's it's odd. I remember covering a game there. Um, it was the Jimmy Clausen... Oh, the Sackfest. Yeah, the Sackfest. And it's the only... It wasn't like we had Notre Dame colors on or whatever, but the people that were tailgating could tell we were from somewhere else. And they were heckling us. I had never gotten heckled in the parking lot before. I'm like, are we going to get in a rumble here? What's going on? Were they creative at least? No, they were just kind of mean. Like, they wanted us to get back in our car. (laughs) I was like, no, we've driven too far. Coming from, man, I'm not going to say it. Never mind. I'm not going to fire back. I'm not going to fire back. It was very odd. All right, 528 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Eric Hansen, Darren Pritchett with you. I was just trying to think, Ohio State, who do they have this weekend? Are they idle? Oh, they host Michigan State. That's right. So they are idle. Ah, 31 and a half point favorites in Columbus. Back in the day, the Spartans were a thorn in the side of Ohio State, but they're deeper into history than you can remember. Yes, there was a game that Michigan State beat Ohio State, and Woody Hayes used to have a television show. Oh, gosh. And <laughs> they were supposed to go to commercial maybe uh, five minutes into it or whatever, and you could see the host turning blue. <laughs> and Woody Hayes was complaining, and he went on for like 29 minutes. He goes, now you can go to commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Because Ohio State scored at the very end of the game, but they got an illegal procedure penalty. They said they weren't set for a second. 
So And he had a different opinion. He had a different opinion. But I'll tell you what, Michigan State had kind of outplayed them the whole game anyways. Eric and Darren with you, 529. We'll recap some of the Notre Dame football fan questions that Eric had to answer on his chat on Wednesday. We'll do that next as Sportsbeat continues on WSBT. He's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. I'm Darren Pritchett. 535 is our time. We're live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTRadio.com, the WSBT Radio app, and a two-camera shot look of the studio on the Twitch app. We're brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Legacy Heating and Air, ask how you can get free maintenance for life and save like a champion today. South Bend Orthopedics, trusted in the community for 75 years. Bethel University's adult and graduate studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. And the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Eric, your chat yesterday was quite feisty, and I have a feeling you probably had a bunch of questions in the queue that were very similar to the ones yeah. that you answered during that what three-hour chat yeah. at InsideIndieSports.com. And, and there were some that were just a little bit too manifesto-y. I gave <laughs> a little bit of room there. I will say this. After doing the chat yesterday and doing the show, I got some emails that were very heartwarming because hmm. uh, I think they felt sorry for me. They felt like this guy's a pincushion today. But I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll read you the part of one from a guy sure. that's from Lakeside Park, Kentucky. Uh, he said, he assured me that he goes, I am wearing shoes and I have not been drinking, <laughs> which is two of the rules in the chat. <laughs> Gosh, well. So that made me crack up. I needed the good laugh. We all need to have a sense of humor right now. Okay, let's put you through a little more okay. misery. I'm ready. I'm. I'm. Where's Kathy Bates? I'm, <laughs> I'm bulletproof today. Patrick from Fort Wayne. Do you anticipate Freeman making the tough decision and moving on from Jared Parker? Will the administration be willing to pay a high-profile OC to come to ND at the request of Freeman? I admit, Patrick says, I'm tired of reading about improvement through accountability and doing a better job of executing the playbook. Talent is still the dominant reason teams win or lose. So I, I actually led with Patrick's question. He had another part to this, which I think we've kind of done to death at this point, so I'm glad you cut it down to this. I do think that Marcus Freeman will do the right thing in terms of giving this a deep evaluation and an honest evaluation. I think he wants to win too much. He's too competitive to do anything else. And, yeah, there are times where you hire somebody that you have a history with. And Brian Kelly did it with Brian Van Gorder, and I think that was – difficult to admit that that was a mistake. I'm not saying that the Jared Parker 
thing is a mistake at this point. I just say you'd really need to evaluate it and determine whether it is, and I think he will absolutely give it that. And then um, what was the other part of that? Oh, that he was – oh, will they pay? Will they pay for – yeah, I do think they will. And, again, I think where people get hung up is the whole buyout thing with Andy Ludwig. So ultimately, Notre Dame said they were willing to pay the buyout, and then there was this hiccup on the front end. What caused the hiccup on the front end, and did that cause Andy Ludwig to stay at Utah? Ultimately, they did say that they would pay the buyout, so I would hold them at their word, and you have to. We had Peter Voss on our um, our uh, podcast today, Inside Andy Sport Podcast, Peter was um, an assistant under Lou Holtz. He was hired to be assistant, was a quarterback's coach here for one season under Charlie Weiss. He's coached in NFL Europe. He's coached all over the place. He's been a head coach. But the point being, um, he said once Notre Dame fired Tyrone Willingham three years into his contract, they said we are playing to win at the highest level not just, you know, um, everything that's Notre Dame. And if we happen to win a national championship, great. And so he said there should never be an expense that's too much for Notre Dame. If Mm. they need to go out and get the best coordinator, and that shouldn't be an expense that you can't afford if you're Notre Dame. I thought that was interesting coming from a guy that's coached here twice and that has been around college football, NFL Europe, the XFL, and now he's – a um, supervisor for um, the replay and the SEC and a couple other conferences. How about that? So let me ask a follow-up question because this gets asked a lot by Irish fans. Okay, Ludwig and whomever else, it didn't work out. Colin Klein. Yes. As opposed to Calvin Klein. Thank you. So was there still time to go outside the family, or at that point did they have to – I don't want to say settle. That's not not the right way of saying it, but they had to look within. I do think the clock is ticking, especially if it was somebody that was going to have a completely different offense. Now, Marcus had narrowed the field to to people, and what he had said in his press conference was narrowed the field to people he thought matched what he wanted to do as a head coach that kind of meshed with the Tommy Reese offense that could be built upon or modified without starting from scratch in the middle of February when you're supposed to start spring practice in just a few weeks. That's what Al Golden ran into when he became the defensive coordinator. He was a February hire after the Super Bowl, and he had very little time. And so, yeah, I think they could have, but they needed to have that person queued up and ready to come in and, and do the interview. Next up from your chat, Bob from Loganville, Georgia. He says, we got the best quarterback in the portal last year. Why will things be different next year if we get the best quarterback in the portal this time? In Bob's opinion, it's time to develop from within. Thoughts? Well, what I kind of would ask Bob back, and I did actually in the chat, is do you think, honestly, Notre Dame's Becker record would be better this year with Drew Pine or Tyler Buckner and he actually answered me kind of off the chat and said you're right you know um and but 
So because it didn't work out the way that I think most Notre Dame fans would have hoped and anticipated, and me included in terms of the anticipation, is it because of Sam Hartman it didn't work out, or is it because of a combination of other factors it didn't work out? What gives you the best chance to win? You still have to look at it. You know, sometimes people take a certain situation, they extrapolate it over every situation. If this happens, yeah. then this is going to happen in every situation. No, not not necessarily. There's some uniqueness to each situation. So if a portal quarterback and the quality of the portal quarterback gives you the best chance to win in 2024, that's the starting basis. Now, you also have to weigh the costs. What will this cost you in terms of people transferring out or somebody decommitting, which I don't see the decommitments there could be a player transfer out because of a portal addition. Next up from Eric's chat at InsideIndieSports.com. Matt from Augusta, but New Jersey. Haven't heard much on Tyson Ford recently. Did he get passed up on the depth chart? I had high hopes for him. Also, still not enough love on offense. Well, Tyson Ford is one of my kind of favorites of guys that are bubbling below the surface that I have high hopes for. So I'm in his camp, and I'm following him closer than most people would follow a fourth stringer. And the reason being, I think he's got so many ingredients to be a really good player. I think he's got burst. I think he's got strength, inner strength. He's a hard worker. Why has it happened for him? Some of it is the guys in front of him. You've got two of the interior defensive linemen going into the Clemson game that were the highest rated in the country at their positions. And Gabe Rubio, who's a um, top reserve, who's played really well. So some of it is the people in front of him, and some of it is they haven't decided where his future is. Is it interior at defensive tackle? Is it on the field end? He's put on weight to be an interior player, and then he took off the weight to be um, an edge player. And and again, Notre Dame has uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste at that position this year. They will be looking, especially if Nana Osafa Mensa doesn't come back for a sixth year, they're going to be looking for players to emerge at that spot or a portal transfer. So next year really logically would be the year that Tyson Ford gets in the mix. I don't think he's behind schedule at all, but I think next year is the year he has to make a move. Mike from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. <laughs> Mike is curious about your thoughts on wide receiver coach Chancey Stuckey. He says, can't fold his recruiting, but developing? He has a question mark there. And Mike says, I'm not savvy enough to separate poor play calling from poor receiver play, but at times in the second half, Sam seemed to have some time, but no one to throw the football to. Correct. We we um, touched on this yesterday, so I'll try to hit different aspects of it. In the big picture of recru- um, improving the wide receiver position, Recruiting is going to be a big part of it. You need to continue to bring in top-level wide receivers, which Chancey Stuckey has shown he can do. Right now, again, three of the receivers that are getting the most playing time are freshmen. One of them is a walk-on freshman. 
And so mm. you're you're leaning very heavily into freshman receivers. Now, could you blame Tobias Merriweather's development or lack of it on him? You could make a case for that. I'm not making that case, but you could make it, and it would be hard to present evidence either way, whether you were right or wrong. But, you know, I talked to Brady Quinn about Chansey when Chansey had been hired at Notre Dame, and he was kind of an out-of-the-blue candidate, and Brady Quinn was absolutely sold on him. They were teammates when they were with the Cleveland Browns. Chancey was a guy that was kind of a fringe roster player but made the roster because of his knowledge of the wide receiver position, actually helped coach a lot of the wide receivers during game. He was like a coach on the field. So <laughs> I, I want to see more of him. I made this point yesterday, and I'll do it. Sometimes these position coaches, you can't evaluate them independently of what the offensive coordinator or the coordinator is or isn't doing. And I used the example of Harry Heastan at Tennessee yesterday. All right. Tom from Toronto, he likes the idea of Angeli and Minchie seeing some extensive playing time in the next three games. Your thoughts? I mean, if Notre Dame can get up on Wake Forest and Stanford and make those uncompetitive games, I'm all for that. I'm not for it at the expense of Sam Hartman. I don't know that, um, you know, playing – you know, 21 snaps versus seven is going to change what 2024 looks like for either of them. The more game experience you can get, great. But I'm not doing it. Okay. Benching Sam Hartman, we mentioned that at the top. And finally, Kevin from Calgary. There is a former Notre Dame hockey player that plays for the Calgary Flames. Eric, it is? Dennis Gilbert. Look at you. You are just phenomenal. <laughs> Thank do, you for the cue card. Do you think that – the conversations being had about Notre Dame looking at the portal again for a quarterback could cause irreparable damage to recruiting at that position. Not in the least. Uh, if you know, CJ Carr is already kind of on the record of saying that he'd be for a portal quarterback. He'd look forward to learning from them. Um, he was a big fan of Sam Hartman's. He watched the QB1 series, so he couldn't wait to meet him, but he would welcome learning under a veteran quarterback. I'm not sure how Deuce Knight feels, but Deuce Knight has another year of high school, yeah. so that portal quarterback is going to be gone by the time he gets here. So, no, it has an effect, and it really doesn't at other places. This is the way college teams are doing business. There's a lot of portal quarterbacks Six out of the top ten guys in pass efficiency right now are former portal yeah. quarterbacks, including Jordan Travis, who was at Louisville at one point. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Eric Hansen from InsideIndieSports.com. I'm Darren Pritchett. Yesterday's question, very popular. On my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeat, who do you believe will be the Notre Dame starting quarterback in game one of 2024 at Texas A&M? We both voted, currently not on the roster, correct? Correct. Okay, the results. Fourth place, 10.3% of the vote, C.J. Carr. Third place, 15.6%, Kenny Minchie. Second place, 32.7%, Steve and Jelly and winning the vote 41.3% currently not on 
the roster. We appreciate you voting. Very, very interesting results. Here is today's question. And it's a little unfair, but it's a bye week. The question is, do you believe Notre Dame broke quarterback Sam Hartman? Yes or no? And the vote's pretty much 50-50 right now. Again, it's hard to say just yes or no. There are so many different angles, but again, it's Twitter. It's a bye week, so why not stir the pot? Okay. (laughs) Just to make your life even better. All right, how about what's coming up at InsideIndieSports.com? Well, I would definitely um, recommend listening to the podcast. Sometimes we have excerpts on it on our game day show. We don't have a game day show this week. So I would definitely recommend Peter Voss. He has all kinds of insights from a coaching standpoint about what's going on with uh, Sam Hartman, how to kind of fix things, and the dynamics with the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, uh, really good stuff. Uh, We also have a a cool recruiting story from Charleston Bowles about a 2026 two-sport recruit, uh, power five guy in both football and basketball. Uh, Tyler James has trail tracks, which is where all the Notre Dame coaches are recruiting tonight, Friday, and Saturday. And of course, Darren, there's always much, much more. Looking forward to it. Enjoyed the visit tonight. And I guess I will see you next Wednesday. Sounds great. All right. That's Eric Hansen again. Read all about it at InsideIndieSports.com. Covering Notre Dame athletics on the Rivals Network. We've got Tim Murray from VEASAN coming up in just a couple of moments. He wants to talk Notre Dame football. He's as frustrated as every other Notre Dame football fan. We'll talk about that. couple of thoughts on Penn State, Michigan. That conversation is on the way as we trickle into the 6 o'clock hour with more of Budweiser's weekday sports speed on your home of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, including Irish basketball Saturday against Western Carolina, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the app store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. And I'm joined by Tim Murray, diehard Notre Dame football fan. And of course, as we've told you throughout the season, a guy that you should tune in and listen to on VEASAN, the primetime show, starts at 6 p.m. Eastern time. You can get VEASAN on YouTube TV, and also you can hear an audio broadcast of the show at VSIN.com. Well, Tim, this is one of those moments I want you to throw away your media hat for a second, and you're a Notre Dame football (laughs) fan. Was the Clemson game, did it feel worse than the Louisville game? Ooh, yes, because I felt like the Louisville game was just an absolutely horrific spot where you've had three straight primetime games. And the Clemson game, I just didn't think there was really an excuse. Um, You know, you're on the road. It's a noon start. um, And this is a team that's, you know, reeling with a ton of injuries. Will Shipley's out. A bunch of the corners are out. And... I think, too, when you think back to the Louisville loss, Notre Dame, to an extent, was able to overcome it. And while the playoff was ruined, you still had a chance, and a really good one, to make a New Year's Six Bowl 
and you know you're you're taking on a, a Clemson team that this is probably the lowest they have been in a long long time and may will be for a long time we'll see how this you know they respond and, and Notre Dame couldn't take them out so yeah I, I think I'm not trying to be a prisoner of the moment uh, because the Louisville game was that bad. Um, but I, I could understand the Louisville game, you know, based off of, you know, what I talk about every night on my yep. show on VSIN, right? I, I talk about situational spots and letdown spots. And, you know, that was a horrible spot for Notre Dame to walk into a, a hornet's net, so to, so to speak. And, and obviously it all fell apart there. But that was, that was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty tough to watch considering how many opportunities you know, late in the game, Notre Dame had forcing punts and getting the ball back and then getting the miraculous fumble and, and still unable to do anything with it. So, yeah, I, I think to me, the Clemson game hurts more than the Louisville game. And I think a majority of the fan base side with you on that, Tim. And I think the thing that's concerning for me hearing from Irish fans is the fact that does the team not execute perfectly at all time? Absolutely. And Marcus talks about that, and no one's denying that. But now we're starting to seep into that conversation of, you know, part of this is coaching. Part of this is the strategy, the play calling on the offensive side of the football. When you get there as a fan, I think that's when these losses feel worse. Yeah, and I think, you know, you early on in that game, Notre Dame's having the success that they're having running the football. And you know, everyone listening and all the Notre Dame fans know that this is a wide receiver group that is underachieving and underwhelming, to, to say it lightly. Uh, you lose Mitchell Evans, which is a big, big loss. But, you know, you you got to scheme some things open. And, and I know, you know, Sam Hartman, and he fell on the sword as a veteran is one to do after the game. And there were some opportunities that he missed, there's no doubt, and he didn't play well. Um, and you know, the middle of the line didn't play all that well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the creativity it feels like is, has been gone from this Notre Dame team for, for a while here. So, you know, we'll see what they do, uh, you know, after the bye week and, you know, you do wonder, is it, is it a good thing that Notre Dame gets a bye week here? Or would you have rather seen them get back on the field like they did against USC? Uh, obviously Wake Forest is not. Southern Cal, uh, who was undefeated at the time, heading into South Bend for a primetime game. But, yeah, you do wonder. I mean, just what's the mindset of this team heading into the final two weeks of the regular season, knowing that there's no New Year's Six Bowl or no playoff uh, for them? Um, I I tend to think sometimes I overrate that. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. these are, you know, young men who want to play the game, who love playing the sport, uh, who are, are trying to play for the NFL. And uh, hopefully, you know, we see the best effort from them these next couple of weeks and go into a bowl game, which certainly seems like it will be a decent bowl uh, if they win these next two games based off of, from my understanding, you know, how this will all play out. New Year's Day against an SEC opponent, it's not what we wanted preseason, but, you know, this is, I think there, I don't want to say there's a way to have a good season. I, I think it is fair to say that this year overall is going to be a disappointment no matter what happens, but I do think there's a way to salvage this more so than 2019 when, you know, they played Iowa State in the Camping World yeah. Bowl. They won that bowl game. They dominated that bowl game. And, and, and honestly, as a Notre Dame fan who dealt with that stretch of, you know, losing in bowl games from, what, 1993 until the Hawaii Bowl in, in 2008, 
you know, winning a bowl game for me, I'm like, that's cool. But uh, I, I do think the opportunity is still potentially there for Notre Dame to beat an SEC opponent on New Year's Day, which, uh, you know, I don't think it'll make any of us feel great, but it could give us a little bit of a better taste going into to next year. Hmm. VEASAN's Tim Murray is my guest here on WSBT Radio. So we go back to last week, and we had this conversation last Thursday. Notre Dame was favored by three over Clemson, mm-hmm. and a lot of money, you told us, came in on Notre Dame. And, Tim, the line didn't move a whole lot. Did Las Vegas telegraph us what was going to happen into this game, and we just were too naive to believe that Clemson was going to win this game? What can we learn from uh, that last week? Yeah, sometimes Vegas gives you the answer to the test, and you just have to you just have to recognize it. And look, I, I came on the show last Thursday, and I said I liked the under. That obviously did not come home. Um, but the the line, and I tweeted it out during the Pittsburgh game. I said Notre Dame is going to be a short favorite. It's going to be a very public play, and I'm terrified. Yeah. And as the week went on, it was exactly what I expected. You know, I had two different odds makers in town tell me that their respective ticket count on Friday was five to one on Notre Dame and six to one on Notre Dame. Mm. So it was a, uh, it was a lopsided play. Clemson was able to obviously be the better team and, and really you know take care of business there. Um, and then you had all the injuries and that in the game got out to three and a half before kickoff. So yeah, sometimes Vegas, and that's kind of been my betting philosophy for a while is, you know, if you can sniff it out, you know, sometimes there are some spots out there that, uh, you know, that, that, that give you the, the, the answer to the test. I'll give you, you know, Notre Dame wise, Notre Dame USC, right? Notre Dame coming off the LSU or excuse me, the Louisville loss, Darren, and they were the favorite. Yep. And that was a, a pretty public dog situation with USC. And obviously Notre Dame was able to take care of business. Now I'll say this, it doesn't always come true. We talked about it, I think last week. You know, the NC State-Notre Dame game was a very public side on Notre Dame as they were only a touchdown favorite. Notre Dame won that game by three touchdowns. So, you know, the public does win uh, certainly from time to time. You know, they, they don't go winless. Uh, so if you always fade the public, look, you're going to lose. There's no doubt. But, yeah, that was uh, a particular case where I was, I was pretty worried uh, about kind of how that point spread was. And, uh, obviously, it bared out the way that it did. Hmm. Interesting. All right, Tim, you mentioned a second ago about how this season could conclude. Let me let me build on that by asking this. From a Notre Dame standpoint, what would be most beneficial to the program? Playing the best possible opponent and you might lose the game. Maybe you lose it by double digits. Do you want to play someone that is of good quality, a good name, and you win it. What do you think is the best situation for this football team? What do they need right now? Yeah, no, I, I think it is, you know, I need, uh, I need to go back in time and rename the ReliaQuest Bowl the Outback Bowl uh, because I think the Outback Bowl had a little bit more uh, validity than the ReliaQuest Bowl, <laughs> yeah. obviously. We can't do that. Um, that would be number one. But, no, I, I think going to Tampa on New Year's Day, which is the most – projected bowl game for Notre Dame playing an SEC team and they're going to be a ranked SEC team you know we forget South Carolina was a ranked SEC team last year and this team that Notre Dame likely will play should be better than South Carolina in the Gator Bowl um, I do think and this is 
more speculatory. I've asked around a little bit, um, you know, to folks who know how these bowl games work. My guess is that LSU would not accept this bid and they would try to go somewhere else. There is some maneuvering uh, as much as we would love it to see LSU Notre Dame. I think all Notre Dame fans, that might be the only way that Notre Dame fans think this season is a little bit of a success if they're able to beat Brian Kelly. But look, I think if you beat a team like Tennessee, uh, that, that's, that, that bodes well, right? That, that going into, into next year. And, and I personally would rather them play, you know, a, a Tennessee, a LSU obviously would be great. Uh, Missouri would honestly be a little bit disappointing, even though Missouri's good. I think a name brand would be big. I think the one thing that would not be great would be like going to Orlando and playing a Big 12 team. And in a Big 12, that's, you know, obviously pretty mediocre this year, like they did in 2019. You know, that's a possibility. I think it's called the Pop Punch Bowl now, the old Camping World Bowl when Notre Dame plays Florida State. Uh, I think in the early uh, Kelly era, that was 2011, if I remember correctly, um, that game to me would be pretty disappointing on December 28th. I do think if you play on New Year's Day, there's just a little bit more juice there. If you got a decent SEC program, that helps. Um, so that, to me, that's, that's the, the best case scenario is Notre Dame plays a, a brand out of the SEC on New Year's Day and uh, and obviously beats them. That would be the uh, the trifecta of that scenario. Tim, let me circle back. Does your contacts think that LSU may dodge Notre Dame? That uh, one guy I've talked to. Okay. Um, you know, it just it's not. It, look, this is not reporting. I don't want this to go out right. there. That there, there's just there is in in bowl world. There's there's some chicanery, and you're allowed <laughs> to kind of maneuver things. So um, I, I would be a little bit surprised if Notre Dame and LSU met in okay. the Reliant Quest Bowl. Now, if it was a New Year's Six, I don't think there is dodging. You just play who, who the committee picks. So right. uh, that would have been the better case scenario. But my guess is uh, that, that there would be some you know movement. I, I, my hunch is Notre Dame would absolutely love it, right? I think the players yeah. would, would really look for that opportunity. But uh, we'll see. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope the contact, that, you know, once again, he was – that was more speculatory than sure. anything. So, yeah, I don't want that to be uh, okay. aggregated or anything like that. But that, that's my hunch is that Notre Dame and LSU probably unlikely in the ReliaQuest Bowl. Not impossible, but unlikely from what I've kind of gathered. Okay, fair enough. I was asked this question on a Notre Dame uh, YouTube live show earlier this week. And I want to ask it to you, Tim, as a, as a Notre Dame fan. The question simply was, with Notre Dame having lost their third game of the year, do you call this season a failure? And I wasn't comfortable with failure. I, I think that's, that's tough to go there. How I answered yeah. the question was, the one thing that's concerning to me, we feel like we are further away as a program from where we were when Brian Kelly left. Now, you can get back there and you can surpass it because recruiting is really good, but I do feel like we have taken a step back, but I, I'm not sure I can call it a failure. How would you answer that question? I think that's accurate. Um, I was thinking about this this week. Now, if they lose to Wake Forest or Stanford, I think you can bring out the F word. I think failure, if they are to lose as a multiple touchdown favorite in their final two games of the regular season, I think that's a failure. I think it's a failure because – 
you would have lost the team at that point. Notre Dame is better than Wake Forest. Notre Dame is better than Stanford. Um, Notre Dame and Clemson, let's be honest, you know, they're on par. Uh, you know, Clemson doesn't have as good a quarterback, um, uh, but they've got, you know, a, a pretty darn good culture going on down there, and they were ready to go. Um, failure's tough for me if they go 9-3, and three, Darren, because, you know, I live in Vegas, and yep. the Vegas over-under was 8.5. Um, you know, Vegas didn't expect Louisville or excuse me, Clemson to be down this year. Um, you beat, you beat USC in the fashion that Notre Dame did. Uh, I think that's something you can hang your hat on. Obviously the Ohio state game is, is really tough to swallow. And, and we're, we're past the days as a fan base of expecting, Oh, close loss, you know, yippee, you know, they, they should have won that game. And I think that's something, you know, for Notre Dame to, to move forward. So, Failure, no. Disappointment, absolutely. Um, and you know, we'll see how it how it all plays out. And you know, when when Sam Hartman decided to come to Notre Dame, um, you know, I and and many others were ecstatic. I thought this was going to lift this program. And I don't know what has happened here in the past, you know, handful of weeks with the offense just kind of gone into neutral. Um, and you know, I don't I don't know if it's Sam Hartman regressing. Obviously, the off the wide receivers have not taken that next step that we were. Uh, hoping for, um, but all in all, um, not a failure uh, unless they lose one of these next two games. I think if they lose one of these next two games, it is a failure. Uh, but I think your overall point is fair because you look at Brian Kelly's start of his tenure, you look at some of the other coaches that have come into to Notre Dame, whether it be Ty Willingham or Charlie Weiss, they were taking over from a fired head coach. And Marcus Freeman got an opportunity that is almost never seen at Notre Dame where a coach left uh, to go get another job and, you know, things were pretty healthy. So I think there's disappointment there where 11 and one in 2021, you know, let's be honest. A lot of those games are close games. Uh, There was maybe some regression coming from that season. Um, But I think the fact that this team is looking at eight and four or nine and three in regular seasons is, is a little bit disappointing. And, you know, puts a lot of onus on next year uh, for for Marcus Freeman and for this coaching staff to, to help elevate this team to get them into the expanded college football playoff come 2024. Sneak in one more really quick, Tim. Michigan and Penn State play this weekend. I was just in State College last weekend with the Irish hockey team, and people are already talking about this matchup last weekend. DraftKings Sportsbook has Michigan favored by four and a half. They got the dark cloud over them with the sign-stealing yep. scandal. What's the buzz out in Vegas about this game? Yeah, I think this is a situation where um, I don't think it'll be as uh, – loaded up one side as you know maybe Notre Dame Clemson was but I think a lot of people are going to be on Michigan here um, because of the perception of Penn State and James Franklin right four and 15 against Michigan and Ohio State lost five straight against those two and you know we saw Penn State go on the road to Columbus earlier this year and they were very unimpressive especially offensively now defensively they certainly had some moments there Um, and then on the Michigan side and, you know, I'm going to record my podcast with Matt Humans here in a couple hours, and we're going to break down the whole card. And knowing Matt, he's going to be on Penn State. And, you know, for Michigan, um, they've dominated everybody. Some of their statistics are just unheard of. They have not faced a goal-and-goal, a go-to-goal uh, situation the entire year uh, so far. Uh, but their schedule, based off of, I think, ESPN's ratings, is like 111th in the country. 
Like you can make an argument that UNLV is their most challenging game to date. Uh, them or Rutgers. So um, I, I haven't put a bet on this game. I always love home dogs, but I think the history and uh, track record of Jimmy Franklin there uh, gives me pause there. But uh, yeah, I, I have not bet this game. I don't know if I will. Um, you know, and I go back to last year, Darren. You know, I think Penn State had the lead at halftime, and then the second half, it was just pure domination. Michigan ran for over 400 yards hmm. on this Penn State team last year. So we'll see if it's changed. I kind of want Penn State to win. Uh, I will say this, though, just a quick aside Notre Dame-wise. Notre Dame, if we want to go to the ReliaQuest Bowl, I think you want Michigan to win uh, because the trigger is the Big Ten has to represent the opponent of the ACC in the in the Orange Bowl in order to get Notre Dame to the ReliaQuest Bowl. So if you are of the mindset like I am that want to go, hey, New Year's Day, Tampa, SEC program, you actually want a Big Ten team to be headed to the Orange Bowl because if it's an SEC team, then I think Notre Dame and the ACC does not get the option to go to the uh, – to the ReliaQuest Bowl. So there there are some weird triggers when it comes to the bowl yep. system. So uh, keep that in mind out there that uh, I don't think you should be changing your routing uh, methods based off of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> off of the potential to go to the ReliaQuest Bowl. But just do know that if Ohio State or Michigan isn't the uh, opponent of likely Louisville in the Orange Bowl, Notre Dame would uh, probably head – uh, somewhere else, maybe the Holiday Bowl in San Diego or yep. or who knows where uh, if, if they don't go to Tampa. Get more nuggets just like that with Tim on VEASAN's primetime show, 6 p.m. Eastern time tonight. Tim, good to catch up with you as always. We'll try it again next week as we get set for Wake Forest. All right, Darren. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Tim Murray from VEASAN, my guest. More sports beat coming up next on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Ball caught, touchdown! What a catch on the three-yard line by Jaden Thomas. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Caught on the one-yard line and into the end zone. Tobias Merriweather, first catch of his Notre Dame career, goes for a touchdown from 41 yards out. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Setting up Estevez over the middle, 25-20. He'll score. 10-5. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish. And this Saturday's Notre Dame basketball game. Game number two of the Micah Shrewsbury era. The Irish taking on Western Carolina. Hear it right here on WSBT Radio. Pre-game coverage at 1.30. Tony Simeone will have the play-by-play at 2 o'clock. Speaking of Tony, he is the host of the Wake Up the Echo show that you hear on WSBT Radio Tuesday nights. And this was really the only opportunity to hear from Fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman this week. Since he got back from Clemson, he spoke on this show, and that's pretty much it. So wanted to play this back for you. Notre Dame loses to Clemson. 31 to 23. It felt like a game with missed opportunities. Clemson ran the heck out of the football. Notre Dame ran the heck out of the football in the first half. Didn't try to run it in the second half. The passing game had its issues. Special teams had a couple of hiccups. It was just an awkward, strange, and frustrating day down in South Carolina 
for the Fighting Irish. So here's Tony interviewing Fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman. What happened? What did Clemson do that made it difficult for you guys to reach your potential down there in Clemson? You know, it's a talented football team. Um, you know, they were well prepared. Um, they played extremely hard, and, and they found a way to make those plays that, that can change the, the outcome of a game, mm -hmm. you know. And then as disappointing as it is the outcome of the game, um, there was a lot of good. There was a lot of good, and there's a lot that we have to improve on. And, you know, the, always the challenge is no matter what the outcome of the game is, the mindset of improvement, the mindset of continuously getting better is what we have to have. Um, and that's what these next few days will be about, right, is understanding that we're disappointed with the outcome of that game, but we have a lot ahead for us and a lot of great opportunities ahead. And, and there is no failure of a season. We have a lot to continue to play for, and we have to get our minds back to where it needs to be, attack the work that we have to attack, and finish off this season the right way. I heard you just say, say something that I think is interesting because I, I listen to and consume a lot of other Notre Dame-related content, and you said there's – no failure of a season. Mm -hmm. Seven and three, there's still two games ahead of you. You can still get to 10 wins with two in the regular season in a, in a bowl game. How do you communicate that? Because I think there is a tendency <clears throat> for fans. It's like, oh, we didn't go to the playoff. Oh, we aren't going to maybe go to a New Year's Six. There's still a lot to play for. And I know that you and the, the players feel that way, but how do you make sure to keep communicating that? Because you can watch college football and you can think at this point, what the heck are these guys playing for? There's yeah. nothing to do. Yeah, I think – we had a similar conversation after we lost to Ohio State or we lost to Louisville, mm -hmm. right, is that, okay, we're not going to be national champions this year. And all 130 teams are chasing that. And at some point all 130, 129 teams realize they're not going to be national champions. And so the competitive spirit that, that these guys have, that we have to have, will never go away. And the opportunity to go out and, and, and play in our two – last regular season games and compete and a chance to become winners of those two contests and then to play in a bowl game and, and a chance to win that, you're going to look back and say, okay, if we had a chance to be to win 10 games, mm -hmm. you know, and, and 10 and three, is that what we started out wanting? No, but if you go 10 and three and you look at this season, it's not a failure. We improved and we have to continuously improve. And I'll say that once or twice because I want them to see the, the hopes of what the season can be, but then we have to go to work and, and go to work at our process that will give us a chance to finish off this season with three wins. And uh, that's the challenge, right? Here's your hope. Here's what this season can bring if we finish off 3-0. But now let's do the things that it's going to take to continuously improve and make sure that we have a chance to finish off 3-0. I think Clemson this past week is a great example of that, right? They're 4-4 four and four and they brought everything. You can see how much that game meant to them. So hopefully it's like that for you guys. I want to talk about what happened on the field a little bit on both sides of the ball. So offensively, I look at it in those first couple drives, there were chances to score touchdowns, settled for three. Then in the second half, it just seemed like the offense couldn't quite get in that rhythm. So what are you guys, what have you seen maybe in the last 48 hours when you watch it back and you get ready to go into these last two games? What are you hoping to see improve in the final two games offensively to let you guys execute a little bit better on that side of the ball? Yeah, I think we, we started off the game obviously establishing our run game. Um you know, but we weren't finishing those drives, right? We had to settle for field goals. And, and it's one play here, one play there that that puts us in third and long situations where the, the percentage of, of converting third and eight, third and nine, third and ten plus is, is not good, mm -hmm. right? And so especially against a good defense like Clemson. And so what we have to do is eliminate that one play per series, per drive that puts us in a position where we can't finish in the end zone. And then, 
you know, second half, we, we come out. Defense does a great job of giving the offense a ball on the two-yard line. We score. Um, then we come back the next drive and, and, and go probably 70 yards, end up with a touchdown. And then we kind of stalled. And why? Why did we stall? They did a good job of adjusting to the run. And, and so we said, okay, there's two ways to attack this. We can continue to adjust the run with some lateral running plays or we want to throw them out of um, stacking the box. And, and we didn't have success completing the balls for many different reasons, sure. right, for protection, from the decision-making, from, um, you know, at all different levels on their offense. And so we didn't flip the field. You know, the, the fourth quarter, you know, the, the ball was just inside the yeah, 10 to start up the and draft. That, yeah. that is a result of, of all three phases. Yeah. It's not just the offense. Like defensively, we can't let them get first downs, mm-hmm. right, to flip the field. And we got to make sure we flip the field in our special teams units. And so it's so easy to point at one or two things. And, and the only thing that does is it makes yourself feel better, right? You pass blame. If we would have just not threw a pick six or we would have – not fumbled a muff the punt, we would have won. Like that, okay, what does that do? That that makes you feel better about the rest of it? No, there's there's plays all over the field, all three phases that must be improved on. And uh, we got to go back and go back to work mm-hmm. and, and, and improve, right? Schematically, executionally, we got to improve and, and make sure that we're ready to go this next contest we have. I want to talk about the defensive side of the ball because, as you said, it wasn't all bad. I thought the defense, the way they came out, I was on the broadcast saying when the, you guys come out of the locker room, it feels like they need to take the ball away. Mm-hmm. They took it away on, the, I think, the third play yeah. of the of the second half. Xavier again with a pick. Benjamin Morrison. I, I watched the game, and just the secondary continues to play at a really high level, it feels like. As you've watched it back, what were the positives you saw, specifically on the defensive side of the balls? I thought they did a great job of keeping you in it and getting you a chance there at the end. Yeah, they just kept battling. You know, the first half wasn't up to our standard. Mm-hmm. The defense would tell you that. Um, you know, just we 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 want to create takeaways. You know, we gave up a long forty-one touch, forty-one-yard touchdown run, um, but they just continued to battle, right? And and we played well enough to to put us in a position to win that game. But there's a lot of plays that that we have to correct so that. Each team, each side of the ball is chasing perfection, right? And and so that's the challenge is to look at the po- – there's a lot of positives, really, though, on both sides of the ball. Okay. There were positives. Um, you know, some good things defensively, really good. You know, and again, for four quarters, the way they continue to compete, they got another takeaway um, in the fourth quarter to give our offense a chance. That one was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, – again, it was a resilient group that, that continued to battle. Um and, and I'm proud. I mean, they're playing at a high level. Mm-hmm. Coach Golden has that group rolling. and uh, But there's another level, right? And we got to continue to chase that next level. You're going into the bye week here. I know we talked coming out of last bye week, you would figure out what to do. This is a different kind of bye week because the team is here. They're in mm-hmm. class as opposed to last one was fall break. So what will you guys do during this bye week with two weeks to prepare for Wake Forest? How will you guys spend it? You know, you, you got to visually – improve right watch film and, and look at the mistakes and how we can attack them but you got to have three good physical work days we got to go out and and work at the the weaknesses and deficiencies that we have like they're the challenge i have let's enhance the strengths that we have on all three phases we have strengths in all three phases enhance those make them better but really we got to fix and attack the weaknesses that we're having at all three phases we got to defensively continue to, to tackle better we got to make sure we're stopping the run 
really good in pass defense. We've got to stop the run. Yeah. Offensively, we got to continue to enhance our pass game. We got to make our pass game better, right? Enhance what we're doing run game wise, but make our pass game better schematically and executionally. And um, you know, finish in the red zone. We got to win in the red zone. Yeah. We, we can't settle for field goals. And then special teams. It's just been the inconsistent, right? The punt return, the touchdown that we had versus Pitt, and then we muffed the punt, and, and our coverage wasn't great on punt. And so um, those are all things that you have to attack during a bye week before you really start preparing for Wake Forest. Okay, I'm going to ask you a um, bit of a unique question, but I, th- I think I think it'll make sense. So we talked after Ohio State, and I remember the way you described the way you felt after Ohio State mm-hmm. and the physical pain. So I'm going to give you some first-person perspective and then ask you a question. So I was calling the game in Clemson this week. It was a cool experience. And I found myself at the end of the game being there, watching mm-hmm. you guys, as it went the wrong direction, like physically feeling like, oh, my gosh, they were so close and came up on the wrong side of it. So I'm, I'm like a tenth of a percent as invested as you are and the, and the players are. So what does it feel like when you guys put in all the work? Because I think there's a sense out there. It's you know, I don't know. I, I just hear and, and read dumb things all the time. But it's like, what does it feel like when? Because you guys are putting in the work and you just come up short. Like, what does it feel like after a game like that? You know, I think everybody goes through their own mourning process, right? Okay. Is that you go from wanting others to feel your pain. You go from, you know, pointing a finger. I can point the finger as a head coach. If this guy would have done it, if that guy would have done that, you go through the state of anger, right, where you're angry. And then you finally settle down and say, okay, hold on. Let's continue to evaluate. Let's not let the emotions cloudy the truth, the film, the reality of things. And and then you got to get back to work. And as I've told the team, getting back to work and really finding ways to improve doesn't guarantee you victories. We got better last week. It didn't guarantee us a victory. We didn't get a victory. But that doesn't mean this team didn't get better. If we didn't get better, then we have failed as coaches. We ha- we, we're getting better. Like That's the every week challenge is to get better, get better faster. But it doesn't guarantee you a victory, hmm. right? And, and, and that's the challenge is that in the midst of, of an outcome you don't want, can you still be motivated to get better and to improve? And that's as an individual too, right? You talk about the team, that doesn't guarantee victory. As an individual, we challenge our guys to get better. As individuals, that doesn't guarantee you a chance to start. Right. But it does guarantee you that you'll get better. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing that we can control is that we didn't get the outcome we wanted. Let's figure out why. Let's find a way to improve. And let's make sure that we are a better football team before this next opportunity we get. Again, that was Fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman on the Wake Up the Echoes program that aired Tuesday here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We'll take a time out. When I return, we're going to spend a little time talking some sports wagering. It was a 3-2 and two night last night, and we've got four more picks tonight, three of those from the Bears-Panthers game that you cannot hear on WSBT radio, but will be on Quality Rock 94.3 FM tonight, opening kickoff at 8.15. 
This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 